tired of the Oscars. Golden Globes got you down. It's time for a new kind of awards show. The Pop Pop DNA DNA Film Film Awards. Awards. Featuring Aaron, Rhonda, a bunch of our podcast friends, and the best movies of 2020. As voted on by you, our listeners. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to find a link to your ballot. And vote for your favorite movies beginning December 1st. Then listen when the bonus episode premieres on January 30th. If we're all still here by then. The Pop DNA Film Awards. This ballot will count. Everything is on Uh fire right now. I don't even know what you mean. (laughs) What could you possibly mean? Um, yes, we are living in an apocalyptic hellscape. It's all happening. Yeah. So we are going to escape into a world that's more optimistic. (laughs) Yeah, we need we need a little Leslie right this very moment. We're Pop DNA. Hello. And yeah, we are a podcast, just in case you don't know. Just in case you didn't know. Um, this is called a podcast. <laughs> These are podcasts. And uh, on our podcast, we like to trace the historical, literary, cultural, and other elements psychological um, mm-hmm, of our favorite works of pop culture we sure do so that's what we do and right you are Rhonda thank you I <laughs> thank you just I am right quick I am right just quite a, often <laughs> to the one person in our audience that got that reference I see you and you see me <laughs> wait what did you say what was the reference I said I said, right you are, Rhonda, um, which is on MXC all the time. Oh, (laughs) go get eliminated. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Um, I watched that all the time in middle school. (laughs) I feel like it it was just on. It was just on. One does not choose to watch it. It just to watch MXC. It just happened. No, it just is on. Yeah. Captain Tennille. (laughs) Get it on. Um, (laughs) Oh, dear. Anywho, that just unlocked our, a memory I didn't know I had. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Well, we're not talking about MXC though. We no, have that would be wow. And we are no longer talking about the Dark Knight trilogy. Are we talking about Riverdale again? Yes. Um, <laughs> a different fictional small town. Pawnee, Indiana. Where you might live. It's Parks and Rec. Yay! Wait, what's Parks and Rec? Well, it's funny you should ask, because I have a piece oh. of paper here that tells me all about well, it. Well, imagine that. <laughs> I know. So, Parks and Recreation, for anyone who didn't binge watch it the way that we did, is an American political satire sitcom television series 
It was created by Greg Daniels and Michael Schur, the same masterminds behind The Office. The Office. And the series aired on NBC from April 9th, 2009, which makes me feel old, to <laughs> February 24th, 2015, for 125 episodes and across seven seasons. And then when we all needed them mm. the most, um, a special reunion episode aired um, this year, April 30th, 2020, when we Yay. were all about a month and a half into all of this nonsense. It was a perfect birthday present for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, and the writers researched local California politics for the series, um, and we'll get into a little bit of the research that they went into later on and yeah. they consulted with urban planners and elected officials it's interesting that the leslie character underwent some major changes after the first season in response to audience feedback that said that she was like quote unquote ditzy okay yeah Anyway, um, <laughs> so the writing staff um, incorporated current events into the episodes of the show, like the government shutdown in Pawnee was inspired by the real life uh, U.S. government shutdown in 2008. Yeah. And then real life politicians also had cameos, such as the late Senator John McCain. Yeah. Vice President Joe Biden and uh -huh. former First Lady, one of our favorite people, Michelle Obama. Oh, Michelle Obama. Uh, you are from Chicago, so you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that Joe Biden was was Leslie's major crush. Yes. I had totally forgotten all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And she had now the every book. Time she had the book that was like, Biden the Rails, A Thousand and One <laughs> Poems. <laughs> and when she meets him and she like loses it. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. So we kind of talked about it a little bit. But Rhonda, what was your very first experience with with Parks? Well, I was an Office fan um, before. Yeah before Parks and Recreation started. And so, of course, like, I'm pretty sure all the advertising for it was, like, from the writers of The Office, <laughs> this new show. And I liked Amy Poehler because, as previously established, we're SNL fans. Um, yeah. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll give, I'll give this show a shot. But as many, many fans of the show can attest to, the first season is not great. Like... It, sure. it has its moments, but overall, it just, I think it wasn't super impressive because it, it didn't really know what it wanted to be yet. And yeah. so, like, I kind of watched the first season off and on, but I was like, yeah, I don't really, I'm, I don't want to watch this show. I don't think it's good. Until, like, I think about halfway through season two, I happened to just catch it while it was on TV and I was like, oh, this episode's good. <laughs> and I started yeah. watching it again and and I watched it, you know, as it aired pretty much every episode from that point on. So yeah. I, was, I was almost almost a, a ride or die original fan. So 
you know. I love that. And as you know, I incorporate the show's philosophy and witticisms into my everyday life. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Erin? I think I already know, but for our listeners. I feel like I've always worked in Parks and Rec spaces. I've always worked um, either as a summer camp counselor or different like different community organizations have always been like my job description so when I saw that the writers from a show that I really loved The Office were writing specifically about a world that I already worked in I felt I was so excited I was like just so ready to hear these stories told um and it's what has kept me as a as a watcher as well, because I think that they do a really nice job of showing what it actually is to serve your community um, in a really <laughs> unique way. Um, and so, yeah, my first thought was just, I love these writers. I work in this field, like, gimme, gimme. This is amazing. <laughs> and I'm kind of an anomaly. I loved um, the first season just for, like, the sixth episode with you feral in the pit. So I was like, and I, I just liked watching, I kind of liked watching Leslie try and then have her attempts kind of fall flat or run short and kind yeah. of see this woman kind of on a sinking ship a little bit. I, I liked that in the writing. So it kept me interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, like I said, like, I feel like the first season I go back and watch the first season now and like I feel like it has its moments uh-huh. like in the episode canvassing when <laughs> yes. which is I think like the second episode of the entire series yeah. when Leslie and Anne come back to Anne's house and it's like Tom and Andy and I forget who else I maybe April and and Mark are there and they're yeah. playing and they're playing rock band and Leslie gets so angry and she just like throws her binder down on the floor. Yeah. I don't know why, but that specific moment just cracks me up every time. Um, totally. I, <laughs> I love that too. Cause you see, I th- well, we'll get into it, but I feel like you see April enjoying herself and being with Andy maybe for the first time in that mm-hmm. in that season, uh, scene. So I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. I've also worked fairly extensively in in public service in various different roles. So. Yeah, I saw a lot of that as well. And I I will be talking about that in a later part of this discussion. Um, You might even say that's how we met. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we yeah, we were working for a nonprofit museum that serves the public. And that felt pretty... Felt pretty parks. Uh-huh. Like if you, like we never found a drunk the... guy in the slide, but right, the like not that specific situation. But I would not have been surprised if that had happened. <laughs> there was once a rainy day where a man in a black tre- a trench coat walked in out of the rain and said, "Do you have a charger?" And I said, "No." And then he walked out. <laughs> Uh, didn't you also him again. didn't you also catch someone outside um like publicly urinating? Did I, that I did that happened, right? 
<laughs> at the end of like a nine hour shift. Yeah. It was really great. Yeah. So anyway, good. you guys don't want to hear Anywho. about that. Um, <laughs> um, I just wanted to uh, throw this out there. I um, remember reading this article when it was first um, published on Uproxx. It's a oral history of the creation and evolution of parks and recreation. So I love the that. writers of this article interviewed um, Greg Daniels, Michael Shore, and I think some of the actors as well about the process of creating parks and recreation. So I, yeah, just kind of wanted to throw that out there as, as something that's really interesting that fans of the show should go check out. I really like, I don't want to just like read the entire article to you, but uh, (laughs) I like the part at the beginning where Greg Daniels is talking about how like they originally planned it to be kind of like a spinoff of The Office. And Uh um, so he says it started with season three. He's talking about like season three of The Office when they came back from uh, with the Stanford branch and Ed Helms and Rashida Jones who, of course, ends yeah. up playing Ann Perkins on Parks and Rec. And he says that um, an executive at NBC was like, that could be its own show. That's great. Why don't you do that as a spinoff? And so Greg Daniels says that he like resisted that idea for a long time. But then eventually he was like, I yeah, I kind of want to do another show. <laughs> um, and so he starts talking with Michael Shore, who was also an executive and a writer on The Office. And they kind of come up with this idea of doing a mockumentary version of The West Wing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, which The yes. West Wing is another show that I really enjoy, um, which I thought that was such an interesting way to come to that to to come to what Parks and Rec ended up being it was it was going to yeah. be a mock- mockumentary version of the West Wing um, oh how funny yeah and it's interesting like you can see like in the first season of Parks and Rec like you can definitely see that that big influence that the office had on it like it's very close to that mockumentary style of the office yeah um you know like they have the talking heads and they even i think even like in the pilot like ron swanson acknowledges the documentary crew which is something that they did on the office but then that sort of like goes away (laughs) eventually and they and so like that style kind of fades out um, throughout the rest of the series, which I think is really interesting. But they do keep the talking heads. Um, right. So, yeah, it's it's just interesting. Yeah. A major distinction for me was always that, like, Parks and Rec feels warm in a different way. Like, The Office mm-hmm. has those moments of warmth. But they feel, it feels like a different perspective on on life and how people are experiencing it. I don't know if that makes sense, but Mm -hmm. it's what I always think about. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is Leslie's personality versus Michael's personality. 
Right. Where like it was kind of it was pretty clear in the early part of season one that Leslie was sort of the female Michael Scott, (laughs) which at the time that Parks and Rec started, Michael Scott still was not a super sympathetic character. Um, Right. So I think that with what they did with both of those characters was they they made the audiences like them more, but the characters ended up becoming quite different from each other be- like because of that. I, th- I would almost say that that's maybe when Leslie gets better at her job. You know, we start to see her have more triumphs than Michael Scott mm-hmm. ever did. You know what I mean? Like, we start yeah. to see Leslie Nope as this, like, detailed, you know, just badass of a woman like she's amazing Mm -hmm. um i think that's an important and maybe something we're missing a little bit in the first season Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you know the office definitely has a heart but it's much more not maybe not quite cynical but it's much more sarcastic than right parks and rec ends up being and i think that they kind of realized that at some point during season one of parks and rec that that like the heart of the show is leslie and leslie is the most earnest person so that sort of sarcastic tone didn't really work for for the show that would have leslie nope in it so i think that might have been part of that development too Yeah, totally. And I think that also makes me think about like, I know we're still just in the intro, but (laughs) it does also make me think about the type of person who goes after a Parks and Rec job Mm, is going to approach their job differently just to get through the day, to get Mm -hmm. screamed at that amount of times. You have to care with a capital C. And I think that's going to change how you're telling this story and how you're like how much cynicism your lead character can have, you know? Yeah. These are, are deep thoughts with, yes. with Rhonda and Aaron. Welcome. Always. <laughs> it's the level of analysis that our audience has come to expect. Absolutely. And then I wanted to bring up as well, um, because in in our part ones of episodes, we tend to talk about like the writer's room and things like that. Mm, I also sure. wanted to mention... Um, the Upright Citizens Brigade. So for anyone who's not quite a comedy, like, obsessor like I am, humble brag there, I just wanted to craft (laughs) one. Um, The Upright Citizens Brigade was founded in 1990 out of Chicago's Improv Olympic Theater. It's a school of improvisational comedy, partially founded by Miss Leslie Nope herself. Oh, I mean, Amy Poehler, obviously. (laughs) But... um, And the Upright Citizens Brigade presents long-form improv comedy and classes in long-form. So long-form improv specifically, um, the audience provides the group of actors with a premise, or sometimes the actor will say, who's had a major life event or who's, (laughs) you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. And then, or even how your day is going, And then they'll interview an audience member. Um, If you want more on this, uh, Middle Ditch and and Schwartz on Netflix does a really nice job of showing you (laughs) what an improv, a long form improv show feels like. Um, And so the actors interview them about this 
this day that they've had. And then from those details alone, the all of the team on stage make a cohesive one hour long play out <laughs> of what it is they were told. Um, and it's really, really fun. It's amazing to see how it how it becomes a continuous nuanced story that's just really well told I mean when it's done well it's -hmm. it's also been a train wreck but yeah (laughs) when it's done really well it's it's so exciting to watch how people take details they've just learned and then build a whole world it's really exciting um so yeah and I you might be wondering why I'm bringing this up most <laughs> if not all I mean not all obviously but uh-huh. most of the Parks and Rec gang have been um have been featured at the Upright Citizens Brigade so mm-hmm. like Jason Manzukis who plays Dennis Feinstein Amy Poehler <laughs> um April Ludgate Tom Haverford Ron Swanson John Ralphio and Mona Lisa Saperstein Tammy all the notable townsfolk, um, <laughs> the majority of those characters have been said to have originated in some form or s- part of their characteristics were founded at the UCB. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> like the the Middleditch and Schwartz. Um, uh-huh. Ben Schwartz plays John Ralphio. Yes. So he developed a lot of that and your character. Husband. <laughs> And my my husband, um, he doesn't know that yet, but yes. hey, that's fine. He'll come um, around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or like like crazy Ira and the douche. Uh-huh. They're both always. <laughs> the um, they're always at UCB and on Comedy Bang Bang. Um, uh-huh. Or like Leslie's horrible first date with the doctor guy, who was actually mm-hmm. her husband in Will real Arnett. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So another, um, not only the actors in the in Parks and Rec were involved in UCB, but the writers as well. So this is a little bit of just sad, but I also think that it's really important to highlight that one of the central writers of um, Parks and Recreation was um, a comedian named Harris Whittles. And um, he passed away very early. He was 30 years old. And I just wanted to share a little bit of background on him because his um, his rise into comedy writing was really like meteoric. Like he was really much very like quickly Ryan Howard. Exactly. Yeah. Much like the the wunderkind of <laughs> the office world. Whittles was an up and coming comedy writer and stand up, and he wrote. I mean, he wrote for the show for six years um, yeah. before he ultimately passed away. And he had written for the Sarah Silverman program, Eastbound and Down, and other really kind of gigantic comedy, like larger name comedy shows um, before he wrote for Parks and Rec. And he was a pretty integral part in the writing team. He also played. Um, one of the one of the two guys who works in animal control with um, Colton Dunn. Uh-huh. So that's that's Harris Whittles there, um, and he he also um, wrote a book that's called 
humble brag, the art of false modesty. And the humble brag is some t- is something that we see the Parks and Rec characters doing a whole lot of. Um, so he defines a humble brag as a specific type of bragging which masks the brag in a faux humble guise. <laughs> The false humility allows the offender to boast their achievements without any sense of shame or guilt. Um, And the example he provides in his book is, the first sentence is, man, I can't believe this dumb little word I came up with actually got me a book deal. So (laughs) it's like, oh, this thing I'm doing is really stupid. But also, you guys, I just got a book deal. Um, (laughs) And it reminds me a lot of like how Councilman Jam is written or how Joan Calamezzo is written. Kind of that like, aren't right. I such a good human, but also I'm really cool. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> um, in a way, it feels like the inspiration for Joan Gotcha and the Gotcha dancers gotcha. a little bit for me. And like the same the same thought process where, where Joan's like, what? Me? Brag? No, I'm just... <laughs> I'm doing the people's work, that kind of, that kind of feel. Um, And I think that very much comes from Harris Whittles. There is also an episode of Comedy Bang Bang podcast called Farts and Procreation, (laughs) um, which features Harris Whittles and then Chelsea Peretti, who also wrote for the show. Oh my gosh. um, and Ben Wyatt, obviously, who uh, Adam Scott, I guess, is what you call him here. But Ben Wyatt, he'll always be Ben to me. I can't even think of him otherwise. But um, so, yeah, there's two. There's Farts and Procreation and then Farts and Procreation 2. Um, and Whittles is a long time guest on Comedy Bang Bang. Um, and it makes so it makes sense that he would come on the show um, and talk about about parks and then um, other people from the stand-up comedy and improv comedy scene have been on comedy bang bang amy poehler um, gets into like a rap battle at some point on comedy bang bang (laughs) so if you ever want to hang out with the writers room and actors definitely listen to comedy bang bang because it's a it's a good time it's also um, the opportunity to celebrate harris whittles because he was close friends with scott ackerman Mm -hmm. the um, the creator of Comedy Bang Bang, he has his um, his own segment on the podcast called Harris's Foam Corner, where he <laughs> reads the terrible or badly thought out jokes on his phone. And this came from, it used to be called his phone corner, but then he said foam one day and then it just became the foam <laughs> corner. Um, and I will tell you, it is a good time. So... I just I couldn't think about this episode without thinking about um, mm-hmm. Harris. And then I also wanted to mention that his sister, Stephanie Whittles Wax, wrote his memoir. So she mm. wrote Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, a wonderful, a tragicomic memoir of genius, heroin, love and loss. And um, she appeared on Comedy Bang Bang to advertise the book. And um, the interview is really, really, really nice because... Scott Ackerman is such a longtime friend of Whittles, and it really provides just a loving um, tribute to the comedian. So I think that's a really great one to take a look at as well. And this kind of plays nicely into the just, you know, the difficult conversation Mm -hmm. of depression that I think Parks and Rec does so authentically um, with Chris Traeger. Mm hmm. 
And kind of, um, I, I think that at least for how I um, experience depression myself, Chris Traeger offers us an absolutely accurate depiction of that depression. Mm-hmm. And I link this to the Harris Whittles conversation because I do think that that's also something that Whittles experienced. And you can see the authentic writing there um, in a really nice way from the writer's room. And I just really appreciate that kind of that kind of storytelling that tells about these mental health stories from a real point of view. So like with Chris Traeger, Chris, Chris is just trying so hard all the time to be the healthiest guy, right. the happiest guy, the triumphant. Yeah. And then we, we kind of find out later that he experienced a blood condition late, uh, earlier in his life and they mm-hmm. didn't know if he would um, if he would live past a certain age. And so we find out that that's why Chris is that way, is that he's excited about life because he didn't think he'd be here for it. Mm-hmm. And so th- so then we see Chris Traeger experience depression um, in kind of a real authentic, this came from left field type way. Like, I'm doing all the right things. I am... I'm doing all the I'm doing yoga classes or whatever it is that people tell you to do when you're feeling (laughs) sad. This this kind of society thing of, oh, you're feeling sad. Have you ever thought of doing this? Right. Yeah. (laughs) We can't just get rid of our depression because it's a like it's a thing in our brains. Right. (laughs) Um, And I think that's so nicely seen um, with Chris Traeger because he really explores it. We get the feeling that it's a brand new thing for him. So he's he's never thought of himself as depressed until it, it like one one or two events happen to him, but then he can't quite get out of it. And mm-hmm. we see him trying to work through it and trying to be happy and trying to trying to keep it together. Um, we see this when he's um, riding the bike, like, I don't know, miles and miles and miles mm-hmm. each day and supporting Leslie's um, campaign and eating vitamins that are like the size of his head <laughs> and really, really trying um, until ultimately he's sitting with April and Andy at a party and he just bursts into tears mm-hmm. and we see him have this moment of this is larger than me and I don't need to be happy all the time. Like it's okay for me to start crying. Mm-hmm. And that's when April, we start to see April as a caregiver. We start to see yeah. April like, <laughs> like she, she does actually him care the, about people. <laughs> yeah. She offers him the movie tickets to go out with her and Andy. He eventually takes over um, for them as champions guardian. And that's that to me has always been like part of the reason I love Parks and Rec mm-hmm. is is that the um, the character development is so behind the scenes and the details are so behind the scenes. And that's always been a, um, a scene where I think of maybe April has experienced depression mm-hmm. as well because she Possibly, knows exactly yeah. how to handle it. You yeah. know, I also think of um, the the scene it might be in the same episode even where Chris is talking to Tom and Tom says to him look buddy like you are obviously experiencing something really big maybe you should go see a therapist and and that kind of like launches Chris on this like journey of self-discovery that I also found um, really beautiful 
Um, totally. He, go, he goes to Dr. Richard Nygaard. Ah, uh, yes, Dr. Richard <laughs> Dr. Nygaard. Dr. Richard Nygaard. Um, but I, yeah, I think that that's like also kind of a moment where you see kind of like where the show is kind of like taking the stigma off of depression and um, yeah. like seeing a therapist um, and kind of like being honest about you know, your mental health and your and your struggles with mental health. So I think, yeah, I agree that that especially with Chris, the show does a really good job with handling that. Yeah, absolutely. Like I just, I think Rob Lowe does such a nice job of mm-hmm. like, there are moments in scenes where he, he looks like, why am I feeling like this? Like you can see behind the smile that he's like, gosh, I'm falling apart and I've never thought about this before. Why, why now? You know? And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just think it's a really nice depiction of all of that fun (laughs) stuff that, that happens in your brain space. (laughs) Mm. My brain. So yeah, we did start out a little heavy again. Um, We did. Uh, I think because we want to move toward more levity as we go. So (laughs) I also think sometimes like a lot of the levity, at least for me, a lot of the levity on this show comes from their ability to also have serious moments. And that's what makes the show like, like the election episode makes me cry Mm. because it's so poignant and special, but also very silly, right? Like. It's kind of my favorite thing about the show. It's like that thing that Mindy Kaling does so well of like balancing real human connection and emotion with the most ridiculous humor you can think of. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, yeah, that's that's what small towns are all about. And absolutely. We're going to talk more about small towns next time. Yeah, we are. We are indeed. So tune in for that. Be sure to check us out on all of our social media accounts. We have an Instagram and a Twitter, and then we're kind of well, deeply offended by Facebook. Mm, but hey, yeah, we have a Facebook, but you know, if you can avoid using it, <laughs> yeah, look do. to Insta and and our blog more so than that. Yeah, totally. Um, and. Be on the lookout on our social media for information about the Pop DNA Film Awards. Yay! Because voting opens on December 1st, so you'll want to make but sure we- that you have a link to your ballot, which you and will we know, find on our social we media. We know that just like this election... You have to do your research first, so (laughs) be sure to be researching the films of 2020. I know everyone is so undecided about this election. Oh, gosh, I just, like, I just got physically ill. Anywho. (laughs) Well, by the time people are listening to this, voting will already be over. So, that's That's what's making me physically ill. Okay, (laughs) guys. We'll see you next time. Wear a mask. Okay, bye.